0: While it may be true that some of those freedoms are disappearing, having experienced the privilege of going across to other parts of the world, I can still say when I land in Dulles or Baltimore, I'm still grateful for this nation and for the freedoms that we have. We're assembled here this morning without fear of somebody coming in with a weapon and disrupting or burning this building down or killing someone. Help us, Lord, to truly appreciate the blessing it is to gather together in the name of Christ to worship you and to be taught by your scriptures. We thank you most of all for the one great soldier, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came and gave his life. And because of that, we have spiritual freedom. Whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. And as free men and women, we come before you and thank you and we praise you for your inestimable Unbelievable blessings that you bestow upon us. Lord, we also want to pray this morning for the work of the gospel around the country with the North American Mission Board. We pray for the MUDs in Boston who are seeking to establish a congregation there. Would you bless them? Grant to them souls for their labor and as they train and teach and disciple and equip saints that the gospel will go forth from there even to the farthest corners of the earth. Provide their needs, anoint them with your spirit, and guide and direct them, we pray. Bless their family, protect them, Lord, from all of the onslaughts of the enemy, for the enemy knows that if he can take down the leader, he can do all kinds of havoc and wreak all kinds of problems on the body of Christ. So we bless you for them and pray for them today. And then, Lord, we must pray again for the persecuted church today. The needs are so many, The countries are so many, the problems are so many, but there's one constant that we can trust, and that is that you are not absent from them, and that even in the midst of their sorrow and heartache and persecution, they can know your grace and love and fellowship of the Spirit of God. Lord, please encourage and support them. This young man who just came back from Venezuela, who was set free reminded us of the loneliness it is in a prison cell. He looks like he came back without being tortured and beat up too much, but many of our brothers and sisters this morning will not have that fate. They are abused and assaulted. They are treated horribly beyond description. God, be their portion. Draw near them, we pray. May they, in their loneliness and their isolation, know that you are their God. More than once in your word, you've said, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And it's at times like this when that is really experienced in a way that it's not experienced in other times. So bless my brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters in the other parts of the world. Lord, may they know the guidance and leading of the Spirit of God to know how to act, how to talk, how to react. But in all of these things, Lord, even If necessary unto the point of death may they know your grace and your support and encouragement as I often pray Lord help us not to forget them their plight is our plight the writer of Hebrews says you should remember them as if you were in that prison cell with them and so we want to do that this morning bless them help us Lord to have the same spirit that they do in our freedom because it is possible that even in this land we might be headed toward times like that as well. Let us not forget that. Let us not forget them. Now, Lord, bless us as we look into the Word of God. It is your Word. It's not mine. It is alive. It's sharp. It's quick. It's able to get down to the root of the matter in our lives. O Spirit of God, take your Word this morning and expose the things of our heart that are bad and shouldn't be there. And may it lead us to repentance and renewed passion and revival in our walk with you. Father, if there's anyone in this building today who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, they might be religious, they might be nice people, they might be good employers and employees and neighbors and family members, but if they do not know Christ and the forgiveness of sins, their plight is not good. Spirit of the living God Take your word, it's not my eloquence, it's not my ability, it's nothing in me, but you honor your word, your word creates life. And so I pray as we talk about Jesus Christ and this principle that we're going to mention that you in your sovereign way, right where they're seated, will have their spiritual eyes opened, their hearts replaced, and they will be born again by the sovereign work of your spirit. Bring some people into your kingdom today, Lord. Enlarge our family. Grant to us more white-hot worshipers for the kingdom of God, we pray. Bless us now, and then as we leave this place, help us to be a blessing. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. amen. Let me make a disclaimer right up front. It occurred to me this morning as I came to church, there's going to be a wedding after the service, correct? I promise you, I did not pick this passage that I'm going to preach from knowing that. I just want you to know that. I did not, but how, how providential I believe it is. So after we look at the passage and we talk about this, when they set up the lunch, there's going to be a special section called the lowest place. And that's where you should head if our passage means what it says. L O L all right turn in your bibles with me please to the gospel of luke luke chapter 14 we want to read verses 7 through 11 this morning luke 17 or excuse me luke 14 verses 7 through 11 luke 14 Verses 7 through 11, and in my Bible, the title says, The Parable of the Wedding Feast. How appropriate. All right, Jesus is here speaking. It says, He told a parable to those who were invited, when He noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, that is, pick it as your seat, so that when your host comes by, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, And he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you've been with us for a few weeks, you know we're going through the book of Philippians, chapter 2. We've been studying the broad context of verses 1 through 11, but more specifically over the last few weeks, verses 5 through 11. And at the beginning of chapter 2, we are reminded that Paul is very concerned that the Philippian believers will experience unity in their church life why because unity leads to joy and i believe that's the key theme of this book verse one he gives them reasons for unity verse two he gives a personal appeal that is their unity will affect his joy verses three and four he gives us three things to avoid and two things to embrace to facilitate that unity and uh, i don't know if anybody else has ever come up with this quote formula but it's something the lord gave me the key to unity Is humility. Humility leads to unity, leads to joy. In verses 5 through 11, in answer to the question that somebody may ask, well you want us to be humble? Do you have an illustration of what we can learn from that? And of course in verses 5 through 11, he sets forth the Son of God, the precious Lord Jesus Christ, as the greatest example of humility. Verse 5 tells us it begins in our thinking. Verse 6, he says, Let your minds often think of who Jesus is, that is, He is God, has always been God and always will be God, but He refused to hold on to His Godhood for His own advantage. Verse 7 says, Consider His supreme example of condescension. And in that condescension, He gives three descriptions of the going down of the Son of God on the ladder of success. And then last week in verse 8, he gave three more descriptions of Jesus' descent, even to the lowest rung of that letter, death on a Roman cross. Now today, before we press on to verses 9, 10, and 11, which is really the exaltation of Christ, and that exaltation is a reward for his humility, I want to take what I would call a theological pause and set forth a working principle in the kingdom of God, Wonderfully illustrated in the life of Jesus, especially in this passage. It is a relevant principle for us as God's people. I want to speak on something that I'm calling the prelude or the forerunner principle in God's kingdom. Perhaps Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11 is one of the greatest examples of that principle. And what is that principle? Well, if you go to Proverbs 18:12, it should be on your outline there. It's also uh, given in chapter 15 at the end of verse 33, but here it is. Before destruction, the heart of man is proud. Get the connection. Pride leads to destruction. But before honor is humility. Humility leads to honor. From this verse, I think we can learn some things that I'd like to share with you this morning. The first of these is this, a description of the polar opposite of humility. North and South Pole polar type things. Verse 12a says, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Something that I have appreciated having been taught is that it's a great way to learn by contrasting things. This is so, but this is so, and many times we learn by contrast. And the point is this, the polar opposite of humility is pride. They don't even exist in the same camp. I want to say some things about pride this morning. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great preacher back in the 1800s, set forth some truths. Actually, in 1856 said some of these things, and I'd like to share them with you today. First of all, consider the danger of pride. According to this verse... It is a forerunner, a prelude to destruction. Says Mr. Spurgeon, and I quote, There's nothing into which the heart of man so easily falls as pride. And yet there is no sin which is more frequently, more emphatically, and more eloquently condemned in the scriptures. Prophets, evangelists, and teachers have discoursed on this vice. Even more, the everlasting God has mounted to the very heights of eloquence when he would condemn man's pride. And the full gushing of the eternal's mighty language has been most gloriously displayed in the condemnation of the pride of a man. Perhaps the most eloquent passage of God's word on this subject is found at the end of Job. Do you remember at the end of Job? I think it's chapter 38. God begins a one-on-one concourse with him. And basically he says, Job... Have a seat. I've got some things I want to ask you. And in asking him, he humbles Job before God. Job, where were you when I did this? Where were you when this happened? There's also another passage in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 14 and a cross reference would be Ezekiel chapter 28. Where the Lord's, and I borrow this, holy irritability. And his anger waxed hot against the pride of man when he would utterly and effectively condemn it, speaking presently in that passage about the king of Babylon, but spiritually about Satan himself, these words are recorded. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. All who were the leaders of the earth raised their thrones above you. All of them will answer and say to you, You have become just as weak as we are. You have become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. The sound of your harps, maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. That's the old King James. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, O Lucifer, son of dawn. How you have been cut to the ground, You're the one who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I'm emphasizing one key word there. I, 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 I. And I remind you, what is the middle letter of the word pride? Not insignificant. It's I. When one is filled with pride, it's all about I. It's all about me. But the passage says, you are brought down, you are humbled down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and wonder over you and ask, is this the man who made earth tremble, who once shook kingdoms? Do you see the emphasis of those passages God is humbling both Job and the people in Isaiah chapter 14 to understand he hates pride. Says Mr. Spurgeon, mark well how God addresses him, describing hell itself as being astonished at his fall, seeing he had once mounted himself so high, and yet declaring that his height and greatness were nothing to God so that God would pull him down, even though he, like an eagle, had built his nest among the stars. I say there is nothing more eloquently condemned in the word of God than pride. And yet at the same time, there is no trap into which we poor silly birds so easily fly, no pitfall into which, like foolish beasts of the earth, we continually run. Pride is a despicable thing. It's a dangerous thing. And the problem with it is it is always with us and it's so easy to slip into and use other kinds of words to think that we're masking what pride really is. Consider, if you will, the folly or the foolishness of pride. Mrs. Spurgeon gives some descriptions, and I've borrowed from that, but using my own words to help me remember. He says, first of all, it's unwarranted. You know what that means? What do we have to be proud of? Well, obviously, my looks. Guess what? That can change in a heartbeat. Get involved in an automobile accident and scarred and defaced. And the beauty in which you are so proud, and I've seen that in my lifetime. I never had to worry about it because, you know, when you go down at the bottom to begin with, nothing, nothing could do except go up. There are people who are proud of their money and their influence and their position. Guess what? In a heartbeat, it can go. We have nothing in ourselves to be proud of. Secondly, it is unintelligent. It is ignorant. In Romans chapter 1, verse 22, as Paul is showing the digression of man who had God's truth but suppressed that truth under th- the thumbs God says this claiming to be wise you actually became fools pride is like that thirdly it is foolishly unwise nothing proves men to be men so much as pride for this they have given up rest and ease to find rank and power among others. For this they have dared to risk their hope of salvation, to leave the gentle yoke of Christ and go toiling wearily along the way of life, trying to save themselves in their own ways, by their own works. And at last, unless God intervenes, they will stagger into utter despair. Pride is unwarranted, it's unintelligent, it's unwise, but something else is true. It's universal. You see it all over the world. Rich people are proud. Well, of course they're proud. Well, listen to this. The man without a shoe to his foot may be as proud as if he were riding in a chariot. It is not confined to rich people. Poor people are proud. All over the world we find this. It's a common human trait apart from grace. Pride is foolish. Now, where is pride located? Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. This is a very important verse of Scripture for our Christian lives. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. (laughs) In this passage, he tells us to be careful to watch out for certain things in our life. Speech, eyes, the path of our feet. But the key verse in this last part of Proverbs chapter 4 is verse 23. Please remember this verse. Keep your heart with all Vigilance, says the ESV, or diligence. Why? Why is it you have to guard your heart? Proverbs 26, 23. My son, give me your heart. If God has my heart, not the physical thing that's beating and pushing blood through my body, but the seat of my affection, the real, give it to me. Why? Because, he says in verse 23, out of it flow the springs of life. Everything flows out of the heart. If the heart is submissive and yielded to God, out of that will flow good things. But if it's bad, obviously evil things will flow. The location of pride is in the heart, and therefore we need to guard it. There's a parable i got a hold of. I'll kind of summarize it for you, but I think it really illustrates well this point. A wise man in the East, whom they call, is another term, but it actually means beggar, In his wandering came suddenly on a mountain and saw beneath his feet a shining valley. In that valley there flowed a river. The sun was shining on it and the water as it reflected the sunlight looked pure and beautiful. The water looked clean and pure. When he went down he found it was muddy and the water was utterly unfit to drink. Nearby he saw a young man dressed as a shepherd who was with much diligence filtering the water for his flocks. At one moment, this young man placed some water into a pitch pitcher, allowed it to stand for a few moments, then he poured the clean fluid into a jar. Then in another place, he would be seen turning aside the current for a little and letting it ripple over the sand and stone so it could be filtered and the impurities removed. The beggar watched the young man, working very hard to fill a large jar with clear water, And he came up to him and said, My son, why all this unnecessary toil? What purpose is it accomplishing? The young man replied, Sir, I'm a shepherd. This water is so filthy that my flock won't drink it. And therefore, I am forced to purify it little by little. So I collect enough in this way so that they can drink. But I got to tell you, sir, it really is a lot of work. So saying, he wiped the sweat from his brow, for he was exhausted from his labors. Right well you have said, said the beggar, but do you know that your toil is not well applied? Do you know that you're wasting your time ultimately? Why, with half the labor you can attain a better end. Looking at you, I would conclude that the source of this stream must be impure and polluted. Let's go see together. They walked for some miles, climbing their way over many rocks, until they came to a spot where the stream took its rise. When they came near, they saw flocks of wild birds flying away from it and wild beasts of the earth rushing into the forest away from that stream. They had come down to drink, and they had soiled the water with their feet. They found an open well which had soiled the water with their feet. It kept continually flowing, but by reason of these creatures, which perpetually disturbed the stream, the stream was always dirty and muddy. My son, said the beggar, set to work now to protect the fountain and guard this well. That is the source of this stream. And when you have done that, if you can keep these wild beasts and fowls away, the stream will flow by itself, pure and clear, and you will no longer need to work so hard. The young man did it. And as he was working, the beggar said to him, My son, hear now this word of wisdom. If you are wrong, do not seek to correct your outward life, but seek first to get your heart correct. For out of it are the issues of life, and your life will be pure when once your heart is. Do you see the connection there? The heart, out of it flow the issues of life. And I would say this morning, even so, if we want to get rid of pride, we should not proceed to arrange our outward life by some special actions or clothing, or to qualify our language by using certain words. But let us seek of God that He would purify our hearts from pride, and then if pride is cleansed from the heart, our life will be humble. Do you see the connection there? This has to do with our walk with God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus said, make the tree good, and the fruit will be good. Make the fountain pure and the stream will be sweet. Pride is located inside where nobody else can see it. I can hide my pride. Can't we? We're pretty good putting on the airs. Acting so humble. Acting so lowly when on the inside I can be full of... That's where it's got to be dealt with. That's where it's got to be cleansed if it's going to be overcome. And finally... What about the end? What's the result of pride? Well, he says destruction, or perhaps barrenness, or heartache, or death-likeness in my spiritual life. We have examples from the Scripture. Time does not permit us this morning to look at them. Can I mention them? Obviously, Lucifer, we mentioned him a moment ago. How about Adam and Eve? What was their problem? Well, they were tempted, but why did they partake of the fruit? Answer, pride. They felt they knew better than God did. And we know the end result of that, don't we? This morning we are sitting here as creatures who've been born in sin because of Adam's sin and his pride. How about David? Ah, the end result of David's pride cost him much, personally and in his family. How about King Hezekiah, who wanted to display the goodies of his kingdom and ended up finding himself in trouble And then, of course, one of my favorite examples of this in Scripture is Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar stood up and said, Look what I have done. I am so great. Look at my kingdom. And for the next seven years, he lived like an animal out in the fields until he learned, verse 35 of Daniel chapter 4, God is in heaven. He does what he wants. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled because of his pride. perhaps... As I prayed just a moment ago, let me just say this in passing. Anytime I minister the gospel, I want to be faithful to say, if you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that if you die separated from God, and ultimately the reason will be since you've heard the gospel, at least this morning, you are too proud to embrace it, you are too proud to humble yourself before God, please know that if you die in that condition you'll be separated from God for eternity. The beginning point of coming to God is Matthew chapter 5, the first verse of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The word poor there means bankrupt. Empty-handed who come before God and say in the words of the songwriter, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Lord, I have nothing. I come to you humbly acknowledging I need you. Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Christians, I know I'm safe in saying this, and you will agree with me. This matter of dealing with pride is a relentless, unending battle. It's a daily struggle. Whenever I think of this, I think of 1994. I had the privilege to go to Papua New Guinea. From Wewak, we traveled out by canoe to an island called the Chambri Island. On the Chambri Island, and this is no lie, every moment... Of every day we were surrounded by and swatting mosquitoes we had this little long brush thing and you could see all the team from America going like this all the time my daughter if she were here this morning and you can call her and ask her if this is true she counted about 2,000 mosquito bites even though she had a long dress and long sleeves they were relentless he even had to sleep under a mosquito net. That didn't work all the time. Pride is like that, it's relentless. Spurgeon said it's like the flies of Egypt, always swarming around us. We never get away from battling pride. And the point I want us to see this morning as we transition to next week, the exaltation of Christ, is that this is a principle we need to remember. Well, let me delineate. This principle if I might in God's kingdom the cause the prelude is humility and the reward the effect is honor and scripture bears aside I'll just read these verses but if you read them for yourselves you'll see the connection between these ideas in these verses 2nd Chronicles 7:14. you know that verse don't you If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, if my people will do that, then what happens? I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. Proverbs 3.34 and James 4.6 basically say the same thing. God scorns the scorner, but He gives grace to the what? To the humble, to the lowly. Proverbs 22.4 By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life, the connection, humility, leading to such blessings and rewards. And then finally in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you in due time. Now please understand that to be honored or to give honor to someone is not evil or wicked. We're not saying that. God honored people in the Scriptures Daniel, Joseph, and perhaps a wonderful illustration is Mordecai in the book of Esther. Mordecai was deeply humbled, but in the end, God exalted him, and he was rewarded. God even tells us as his people to honor others when it's appropriate. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. One up your brother or sister in showing true honor. But here's the problem. Not being honored or giving honor, but what God forbids is to be proud of whatever honor He bestows upon us as if we were the ultimate cause of us. We must deflect any credit for honor to our God. He must receive all the glory. I love John's words in John chapter 3 and verse 30. He must increase but I must decrease. It's not wrong to be honored or to give honor. The problem comes when we get proud of that and think that somehow we of ourselves deserve it. So what is humility? Let me share a couple of thoughts on the details of humility. What is it? Well, first of all, I think it is to think rightly of myself. Now listen to Paul's words. This has been twisted around. The generation in which we live would take this and misuse it but listen to paul for by the grace given to me i say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment each one according to the measure of faith that god has assigned it's to think rightly about myself secondly it is to have an attitude of self forgetfulness That's how we came to Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, if anyone's going to follow me, he also said it in Luke's gospel as well, if anybody's going to follow me, they must deny themselves, forget themselves, and not push themselves forward in every situation. Humility is to think of myself like God thinks about me. Be careful. How does God think about me? In Jesus Christ, I am perfect. I am sinless. I'm His child. But He always recognizes me, and I need to recognize that I am needy and I am totally dependent upon Him. First Corinthians 15, Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. First Corinthians 4:7. What do you have that you didn't receive? If you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? To have a right estimation of my heart and life before God, even as He thinks of me. I think humility basically is to be amazed at God's kindness toward a person who was once a lost, helpless sinner, but who was granted forgiveness and adoption. Do you remember what God told Israel to do about those who were in slavery, those who were, quote, less fortunate? He said, be careful how you treat them. You once were there. Never forget Sammy Davis Jr. Some of you guys may not know who he was. A very talented person, a friend of mine, told me one time he got on stage and whoever was supposed to show up didn't. So they gave him a plastic gun. And for 45 minutes, he entertained the congregation, that group of people with a plastic gun. i never forget this. Sammy Davis said, you know, I often go back to, I think it was Harlem in New York. And he says, as I'm walking down the streets, now he's very popular, he's very rich, he's very very well-known. He said, I kept hearing from my former neighbors, Sammy! Don't forget where you came from. Christians, let us never forget what we were. Paul often reminds us in his epistles, you once were this, but by God's grace... You are now this. We should stand amazed. The songwriter said, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how He could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How wonderful, how marvelous is my Savior's love for me. True humility comes from being amazed and asking God, Lord, why me? Why me? That will always lead to true humility. It is this mindset that brought me to Christ, and I want to say to you this morning, it is the regular understanding and remembering of this mindset that helps me to grow in Christ. And to make a church application, when you have a congregation full of people with this mindset, you will have unity. You will have joy. Can I turn that around? When you have divisions and gossip, and slander. Not you. When a church does, and clicks, you can be sure of one thing. Humility is by and large missing. And therefore there's no unity. And therefore people are not joyful in their relationship with one another or with the Lord. The end of verse 18, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 12 says, you will be honored. That's a promise from God. This is what we're going to see in the life of Jesus as we continue. He's the greatest example of this, quote, prelude principle. And I think it's an important one. Let me conclude, if I may, here with some applications. Number one, I'm going to go back to Luke 14 and read those verses one more time. Jesus told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor... So he said to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And the one who invited both of you will come up and say to you, give your place to this other person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Can you envision that in our culture? (laughs) I can. Hurry, let's get in quick, honey. I want that place right up front. Can you imagine the wedding coordinator or perhaps even the bride or groom or the best man come up and say hey, this ain't for you in the back do you think they would be embarrassed as other people watched that and listened to that? of course they would that's what he's talking about here essentially however Jesus says but when you are invited go find the lowest place so that when your host comes in he can come up to you and say hey friend, come on move up higher Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. And here's the zinger. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the principle. That's the mindset of Christian people in the body of Christ. And so, with that in mind, let me say, first of all, be willing to take the lowest place in God's kingdom. Be willing to be behind the scenes. Be willing not to take the credit publicly. Be willing not to have everybody pat you on the back and tell you how wonderful you are. And what he, You don't have to do that. God notices. God won't forget. And when I try to push myself forward, usually I end up in trouble. And I stumble or I do something foolishly in the flesh. Be willing. See, that's an inner heart attitude. Be willing to be nothing for the body of Christ as Paul said earlier in this chapter, prefer others above ourselves. Secondly, maybe at the present time, God is humbling you or God has humbled you by chastening or sickness or some other circumstance. And you're experiencing the discipline of the Lord. Remember, discipline is not always the belt. Discipline has a correcting factor. If that's true, if God is humbling you, two things, remember, it's a sign of his love. It's a sign of his delight in you. Proverbs 3:11 and 12, "My son, do not despise the Lord's humbling or discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves those whom he loves, and this is something that I didn't see till late in my Christian life." In this verse. It's also given in the book of James. But I didn't see this till late in my life. As a father, the son in whom he delights. He loves us. He delights in us. And therefore, he will humble us. Remember what Paul's experience was like? Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. I knew a man. About 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body. I don't know. He was caught up to the third heavens. He heard things that nobody else heard. Paul said he learned from that in his conversation with God, having asked God to remove it three times. And by the way, what was it that Paul suffered with? There have been all kinds of speculations, eye problems, headache problems. Well, the text tells us it was a messenger of Satan. And Paul saying, Lord, pl- please take this away. It's, it's hindering me in my walk with you. And what did God say? Uh-uh. You know why, Paul? You'll probably get proud if I do. So I'm going to keep it on you. I'm going to keep you humble because that's the best way to serve me. And therefore, he said, I glory. I rejoice in this because God says, my grace is sufficient for you. The more humble, the more grace God gives. Secondly, it's not only a sign of his love, but it's his way of protecting his children from this destruction. And Mr. Bridges in his commentary Um, Proverbs reminded me of this. The exaltation of God's people in his providence often is conducted through the valley of humiliation. And then he gives several illustrations. Joseph, Moses, David, Gideon, Ruth, Abigail, and others. And he says at the end, in the daily walk of life for all Christians, the lowest place is the pathway to honor. Now, folks, we got to fight against that in this I love me culture. Clawing and grabbing for honor and recognition, we have to remember God blesses and grows us in the valley of humiliation. And to take it back to our text in Philippians, Jesus taught this, obviously. He made it clear, Matthew 20, Mark chapter 10, when Peter and John came, actually their mother came and said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, can one of my boys sit on your left? Can one of my boys sit on your right? And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. You need to be like the Son of Man. You need to be like me who did not come to be served, even though I deserved that, but I came to serve even to the point of giving my life for others. How deep was his descent? Psalm 22, remember? I am a worm and no man. And yet, remember the honor which rewarded His humility. We must not disdain or neglect to follow Jesus Christ. Is it a light privilege to follow in the pathway consecrated by His steps and irritated by His smile? Jesus said in John chapter 15, If they did this to me, Quit your whining and complaining. Put your nook away. That's my granddaughter's word for pacifier. Put away your pampers, your pacifier, and your milk, and all these things, and basically grow up. If they did this to me, if you're going to not just speak about me, not just testify you know me, but if you're going to walk like I walked, This is going to be your lot in life as well. And we must not be surprised at that. Once again, if you're here without Christ, let me close with a word to you. Have you, by God's Spirit this day, hearing the Word of God speaking about the danger of pride and the blessing of humility, has God spoken to your heart today and said, you know what? You've never really trusted Christ. You're religious. People are impressed with your piety, but deep down inside, you're not a believer. When I was five, I walked to the front of a church, stood on the front pew, turned around, my dad was a preacher, and I said all the right words. Are you a sinner? Yes. Do you want Jesus into your heart? Yes. Blah, 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 blah. Walked out of there being convinced, not right, but being convinced by others. Oh, you're a Christian. You asked Jesus into your heart. Everything's cool. For the next 17 years, I relied upon that. Taught young people, directed choirs, went to a Bible college, was the chaplain, went out on the weekends and preached, did all of those things for 17 years. Had Ed Fleming died during those 17 years, people would have walked past his casket and said, Oh, St. Ed, I'll bet he's enjoying the glories of heaven, all the rewards for all that he's done for Jesus. I'll bet they would be so not knowing that from the depths of hell I would be crying out, Oh, God. One Tuesday night, it was a rainstorm. There were some young people in our church and my wife who then was a um, young lady that I had interest in, I took them home. And as I was taking them home in that rainstorm for the first time in my life, I was afraid to die. I mean, I was afraid to die because I knew that if I died in an automobile accident, I would go straight to hell. God broke me that night, and I went home to my father, who was my pastor, and said, Dad, something's wrong. What's wrong? I said, Dad, I'm not a Christian. He took a step back and said, what? I said, Dad, I'm not a Christian. I'm a phony. A good phony, but a phony. He said, son, you've heard enough preaching to know what you need to do. And outside in my driveway at 12,003 Rocking Horse Road in Rockville, Maryland, I cried out unto God. He broke me. He humbled me that day. And he saved me by his grace. My friend, if you're here today, if you're feeling the uneasiness in your heart and your mind, and you would be honest before God and say, I am not a child of God. I do not have the assurance that if I died, I would stand before God and go to heaven because of what Christ has done for me. Please don't leave this building. Certainly don't go to bed tonight until you fall on your face before God and cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a lost sinner. Save me for Christ's sake. I beg you, know that you will be humbled, but you'll also be honored. Your sins will be forgiven you will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you will be adopted into God's family, and someday you'll stand before God and honored with all of the saints and lay your crowns at His feet and worship Him forever. Please don't let this day go by if the Spirit of God is moving in your heart. Brothers and sisters, let me conclude with this. Seek from God above all things to be humble. Truly humble. Let the Spirit of God break us. Let the hammer of His love and conviction break us. Let every twig of the rod that He uses break us and drive the pride out of us. Ask God. If He doesn't show you your heart, ask Him to show you Calvary. Ask Him to show you the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ died to take away our pride and humble us before the throne of God. Remember, Christians, the word Christian means little Christ, not just those who confess they know Him, but who walk as Jesus walked. 1 John 4.17 By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. Let me close with an illustration. You've probably heard of this fellow by the name of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, one of the most well-known, famous evangelists in the world in the late 1800s. People came from all around the world to attend his Bible conferences in Massachusetts. One year, a large group of pastors from Europe were among the attendees. They were given rooms in the dormitory of an American Bible school. Now, the custom in Europe was when they went to bed, they would put their shoes outside the door and servants would come by and clean and shine their shoes for them for the next morning. Well, of course, there's no servants in American dormitories. But as Moody was walking through the halls and praying for his guests, he saw the shoes and he realized, oh my goodness, they're not going to understand. He mentioned the problem to a few of his students, but none of them offered to help. Without another word to anyone, the great evangelist gathered up all the shoes, took them back to his own room, and cleaned and polished each pair. He didn't tell anybody what he had done, but a friend who happened to interrupt him in the middle of it and helped him finish the task later told the story to others of what had happened. Despite the praise and fame he received because of God's blessing on his life and ministry, Moody would probably tell us this morning that one of his greatest privileges was to shine and clean the shoes of his fellow pastors. Brothers and sisters, even so, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Heaven, had every right to honor and praise and worship. Yet, to be our Savior, He laid all of His privileges aside and became a lowly servant. We often hear people talk about living as Jesus lived, And while He truly is a model for us to follow, many who speak of following Him are unwilling to give up their rights and reflect His humility. We will never be like Jesus unless we are humble and lowly. Any church that is filled with people with that mindset and those kinds of actions will experience an unusual unity And overflowing joy. May God make it happen. Lord, bless your word, I pray. Speak to us, change us, conform us more to the image of Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Let's conclude this.